Uh, as I begin, I'd like to thank our worship band. Our worship band spends a lot of time. They have been gifted with uh, a lot of talent to be able to lead and serve and care, uh, care for us through the music. Um, and it is a great blessing to us. And I, I say it all the time that it's so much easier for me to come up here and preach uh, after being led into through our worship team. So um, thank you, everybody that's on that team. Thank you very much. If you have uh, musical talent uh, that you would like to offer up uh, to help lead us into worship on Sundays, we'd love for you to get connected. Um, there's a connect card in those seat backs around you. You can fill those out with contact info you with, and then we'd love to get you connected with Daniel, and he'll talk to you about what does it look like to get you plugged in on the uh, on the music team. So um, we, as I said, today is, today is one of my favorite days because we are starting a brand new series uh, this morning. And so we study books of the Bible here. It is something that we are passionate about and something that we love here at CF. We love Bible-centered preaching and teaching, and we love Scripture, and we want everything we do to be grounded in Scripture. And so uh, for those of you who are guests, if you haven't been around for a long time, um, we tend to just take a book of the Bible and kind of walk through it verse by verse. Um, we do that because it helps us to understand the fullness of the original message of these different books and letters that were written. Uh, it also doesn't allow us to hide from some passages of scripture that might be uncomfortable or difficult. Uh, and so we want to be careful and considerate and develop a full and rich and deep understanding of scripture. And so that's why we take books of the Bible and just kind of walk through them however long it takes us to do it. And so this morning, as I said, we are going to be starting a series in the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles. Uh, and so why are we studying Acts? Uh, I say this every time we start a new book of the Bible, and I'm going to say it every time we start a new book of the Bible. We are studying the book of Acts because it's in the Bible. And I know that's an obvious answer. I get that. 2 Timothy 3 says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the people of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. This book, the Bible, is the living, breathing, active word of the holy creator of all existence. So why would we ever want to neglect it? Why would we ignore it? Why would we put it into the category of our lives with, I'll read it when I have some free time? Being engaged in scripture should be the priority, but far too often we decide other voices get to be louder in our heads. And we make that decision. We decide what we want to hear, what we want to take in, and what we want to influence us. Right? Church on a Sunday is an hour, hour 20, depends on how long I go. Um, that's about it, once a week. And then if you're in community groups, community groups are two hours maybe. How many hours during the week is the news on in your house? How many hours a week are dedicated to podcasts, to music, to social media? How many hours of a week are given to Netflix and Hulu? These things are not bad. But you do need to realize that everything has an agenda. Everything is trying to teach, trying to train, trying to convince, trying to take up residency in your head and your heart. If the only time during the week you are opening the Bible is when I come up here and I say, okay, now open your Bibles. If that's the only time during the week you are opening your Bible then by sheer time spent alone, you are being discipled by the world to a far greater degree than the faith you claim to have. You are not going to wake up one day by hope and luck and be a mature Christian. And just because you have gray hair on your head doesn't make you mature. 
Just because you've been a Christian for a real long time doesn't mean you're eating at the grown-ups table. It takes intentionality. It takes effort. It takes time. All of the Bible is for all of us, and it is all of it good for us and good to be studied. And so that's one of the many, many reasons we preach and we go through on Sundays the way we do is to get us familiar and connected with all of the breadth and width and depth of Scripture. This book, the book of Acts, is about figuring out what it actually means to respond to the gospel in our lives. We are made for community. We as people are made for community. Christians especially are made for community. We are made to be in relationship with one another. This book is about how community begins. After Jesus ascends into heaven, the disciples now have to figure out, okay, how do we do this? How do we continue to live as if Jesus is with us even though he is now gone? How do they live in light of the fact that he is gone, but he's not gone like he's dead. He's gone because he rose from the dead. He conquered sin, death, hell, and the grave and ascended fully alive to heaven and is coming once again. That's a big deal. That's a life-changing deal. How do we live in light of that? And over time, we'll talk about how the Jewish Christians, how do they welcome in these Gentile Christians into community? How do these two groups of people coming from completely different religious backgrounds, social backgrounds, now come together to form a community and to be together? What does it look like to actually allow the gospel to change the way we live, think, act? What does it look like to let the Holy Spirit actually lead you to listen and respond to him, even when you know doing so will dramatically and detrimentally affect you for any number of different reasons? This is a book that will encourage us and challenge us to get outside of ourselves and engage with the world around us in a much more intentional way. Because the book of Acts isn't just a play-by-play of what their Sunday services look like. In fact, very little is talked in the book of Acts about what their Sunday services look like. This is a book about what happens for Christians Monday through Saturday. What does faith in Jesus look like outside of the church building? It's a book that has an emphasis on prayer. As we go through this book, we're going to see decision after decision and situation after situation arrive, and the the disciples and the church as a whole routinely go to prayer as their first response. When things are good, when things are hard, when they are threatened, when they're in prison, over and over, no matter what the situation, they don't take for granted the power and purpose found in prayer. And I think for us, as we are in the midst of this Praying for Roscoe Village initiative movement, I hope that this book serves as a reminder for us of the importance and power and need for Christians of the, to have a vibrant and consistent prayer life. This is a book about the, that puts a great emphasis on the Holy Spirit. Many have suggested that the title of the book shouldn't be the Acts of the Apostles. It should be the Acts of the Holy Spirit. He is front and center, and we will see in just a few minutes when we jump in, it is by and through the work of the Holy Spirit in men and women that the gospel moves forward. I grew up in an environment where the Holy Spirit really wasn't talked about a whole lot, right? Unless he was like blatantly in the text we were looking at on a Sunday, we didn't really talk about him. It was kind of like, okay, the Holy Spirit, yes, he's part of the Trinity, he's great, we're just going to leave him over there, let him do his thing. We're not going to really just step into that world. And I think that's a fairly common approach. Either people get way, way, way far into the Holy Spirit and 
and make everything about the Holy Spirit and, and get far into the charismatic movement, or they stay and swing the pendulum the other way and they say, ah, we're just going to keep him over there at a nice safe distance. What we're going to bump up against in the book of Acts is that the Holy Spirit does not just sit quietly in the corridor waiting for his turn to jump in when everyone is okay with it. He's on the move. He's at all times stirring within every Christian. He is here in our midst now. He's in the world right now, on the move, doing work. And while this book is not really a deep theological dive into the concepts connected to the Holy Spirit, it does give us multiple opportunities to consider that if God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and we see God in, through the Holy Spirit doing miracles and through regular people in this book doing miracles and moving and, and changing lives, then doesn't it make sense that we should be praying and living and expecting for him to do the same thing today? The answer is yes. And so I'm excited to spend some time considering the Holy Spirit and hopefully all of us growing and getting a better understanding of who he is and his role and his work in our lives. Now as we jump into this book, and we're going to be in Acts for a while, there are some things I want to kind of put up front, uh, and I will remind us as we go along, but some things I want to kind of put up front to kind of lay some, some groundwork for us, all right? Because speaking of the Holy Spirit, one of the things the Holy Spirit does, especially in the Bible, he does miracles, he does mighty miracles. He does a lot of cool things. Those big, awesome miracles are not the point of this book. Right? We're going to see some cool stuff. We're going to talk about the fiery tongues coming down. Peter healing a beggar. The shadow of Paul healing people. Prison shaking and opening. There's a lot of times where the Holy Spirit just kind of says, okay, back up, I got this. And he moves in a very big, real, tangible way. There's some real Old Testament kind of feel to a lot of what happens in the book of Acts. Those things are not the point. The point of this book is to show how the gospel goes forward, that through Jesus and through the Holy Spirit, we see lives changed, and the gospel reach into areas and people groups that otherwise would never have heard about this son of a carpenter if it wasn't for the Holy Spirit moving in people's lives. So yes, we are going to talk about the big, awe-inspiring events, but I don't want us to get so caught up in those moments that we miss the bigger picture of what God is doing in this book. Now, in the Bible, there are books and letters. Um, there are things that are written that are prescriptive, and there are things that are written that are descriptive. Okay, and what I mean by that is, that is that there are parts of the Bible that are written to specific people and groups, but they also transcend those times and places, and it applies to us as well. There are instructions, commands on how to live, how to work, how to worship, how to be a friend. There are things that are prescriptive, right? Places where... God says, this is true for these people at this specific time, but they are true for all people throughout all time. But also, there are descriptive times. The Bible does have a history element to it, where there are times and places where it involves a command or an instruction or even just a way that Christians acted, and it is not meant to be, okay, this is the way that everyone should do it throughout all of time, but rather it's describing how they did it at that time. Acts has both of these things in it. There are times that are prescriptive. There are times that are descriptive. I'm going to do our best to kind of navigate through those things. But so this is not going to be, okay, well, it says in Acts 2 that they sold everything and they split up the, pro the prophets amongst everybody and everyone shared and everything equally. Maybe God's calling you 
to sell your things and to share and to give to the poor. Amen and amen. But that is not a necessarily prescriptive way that the church has to work. That is a descriptive way of how they did respond. It can be prescriptive for some people, but it is not a universal truth. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. And so to go along with that, some people want to say, you know, the Western church, a church in America is so broken, it's so broken, it's so messed up, it's so sinful, it'd be so much better if we just went back to how the church was in Acts. They hold up the church in Acts when it first started as this perfect ideal. This is what church is supposed to be like. This is what community is supposed to be like. There is not true. We're going to see. It's a bunch of regular people. If you've studied the Gospels at all, you know the disciples make a lot of mistakes. They continue to. It's a running theme. And we will continue to see that the church in Acts is not perfect. Real quick, there's issues of racism happening. It's not a perfect place. It was messy, and it took time, and it wasn't always the healthiest form of community. And so this idea that we just got to go back to the book of Acts, if we just go back to the church in Acts, everything will be perfect. It's not true. We can learn from them for sure, but they are not the idealized perfect church. And so lastly, I, I want to say this, that as we go into the book, book of Acts, we're going to cover a lot of scripture. And so that means you are going to need to do some work on your own. Okay? I tend to map out uh, the preaching plan a couple of months, sometimes even a year in advance. I usually do it in pencil because I'm up for change and flexibility. I've mapped out and have our plan kind of tentatively to get us through the first basically about 15 chapters of Acts. In doing that, and in doing that, because of the nature of how Acts is written, we're going to be covering some very large chunks of scripture. Okay, so today we're going to cover 11 verses. That's pretty standard for us here at CF. Very soon, we're going to have like full chapters and then like chapter and a half. The reason that is is because the way Luke writes is real wordy. He's real into detail, and he's telling very long-form stories. And I don't want to cut us off in the middle. So this is going to be a little different. If you have been around CF for a while, this, is, this study in Acts is going to be a little different for us, um, even just the way that I preach it. So we're, instead of focusing on three, four, five verses, there are going to be times where we're focused on 20, 30, 40 verses. So that means I'm not going to be able to cover every detail of every passage we look at. There will be points or ideas that we skip over for the sake of wanting to focus on what the main things are that God is trying to teach us in this passage. So that means in order for you to have an idea of what's happening as we go through this book, I'm going to need you to do some reading on your own. I'm going to need you to open up the Bible when you're at home and actually go through the book of Acts on your own, coming in ready to hear. So I'm going to keep us generally in the loop and make sure that um, we all know what's happening. But as we go through Acts, for me to do like a uh, you know, recap of everything that's happening, it would take us a whole sermon just to recap you know, the past as we get deeper and deeper into this story. And so also, going back to my first point, the Bible is good. We need to be in the Word and reading it. So having us reading throughout the week is going to be a help in coming in Sundays and know what's going on, who's who, and all of that kind of stuff. So I will give you weekly what you need to be reading ahead of time. So for instance, for next Sunday, you can read all of chapter 1. All of chapter 1. We're going to start it today, but if you can read all of chapter 1 by the time you come in next Sunday. So you got seven days to read 26 verses. That's 3.714 verses every day, which you might as well then read four verses. And if you look at verse 4, it's mid-sentence, so you might as well read five. And then once you read five, 
you're going to want to read six, and that's the beginning of a conversation, so you might as well go ahead and read that conversation. And that conversation then leads to a really important event about the disciples, so you might, you might as well just keep going and just read the whole chapter in one sitting. It's not that long. Um, but I'm going to need you as we go through this book to do some work ahead of time so that when we come together, we're not having to just recap every detail of every situation. Cool? Yes? We can, we can do this? I will remind you as best I can. We will put it on social media. We're going to do this together. Okay. All of that said, the longest intro ever, I'm going to pray. We're going to jump into the book of Acts. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today, for this opportunity to gather, to celebrate you, to hear from you, to engage with you. God, we come here this morning for any number of different reasons. But ultimately, we come here to hear from you. To have some time in our week where we can rest in you, where we can be encouraged by you, where we can be challenged by you and equipped by you. Today is about you. God, as we open up this book, as we step into the book of Acts and this world, and we go back to those days where there was confusion, there was disorganization, where there was, at the same time, a, a passion and a desire to follow you. God, I pray that that passion, that fire would be sparked in us, that we would be challenged and encouraged by what we read, by what we hear, by what we see in this book. God, help us to engage and to focus on what it is that you have for us today. Lord, as I preach, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be glorifying to you. We pray all of these things because of Jesus and in his name. Amen. <coughs> all right, so I'm going to read the first 11 verses, and then we'll go through and talk about it. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is, not, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a, great cl and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So as we jump in, we've got to talk about the, the who and the why and the to who. What is this book about? The writer of this book is Luke. He also wrote the gospel that carries 
his name. Luke was, we don't know a whole lot of details about him. We know he was a Gentile doctor and a traveling companion of Paul. We'll see that like four months from now. The book of Acts is really volume two. It is the continuation of what we call, what we know as the gospel of Luke. Those, those, those two things go together. Both books are written to a man named Theophilus. Some people want to argue that that's a code name, um, that it's a, for a Roman soldier, that it's for maybe just even uh, an idea of just Christians in general. There's no reason to think that, especially from Luke's gospel. He gives him a, a very direct uh, introduction. And so uh, I think it's a guy named Theophilus. That's a pretty common name back then. So uh, he writes to Theophilus, and Luke's gospel actually opens very similar to how Acts opened up. It says, uh, inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. So Luke was writing the gospel um, the Gospel of Luke to help Theophilus understand what it is that he had learned about Jesus and the Gospel. He had heard these stories, he had heard about Jesus, and he wanted to know more. And so Luke does the legwork tracking down eyewitnesses and those who were around in the days of Jesus. He goes and finds the eyewitnesses. He goes and talks to the people who were around. Hey, you ate that fish and bread. Was it really the fish and bread? Did he really just make it keep on appearing? Hey, you were around... You were around, you saw that man who was every day at the gates who was the lame beggar or the, the person who had leprosy or the person who was sick. You saw them every day and then they were really healed. Can you tell me what you saw? Can you tell me what you experienced? Luke does the legwork and he writes it all down. If you look, the book of Luke is much longer than the other ones. He gets real into detail and we're going to see that in Acts 2. And so Acts is the continuation. It's kind of volume two of what he was already writing. It is a de detailed account from an outsider on the events and actions of Jesus. And as he says in verse 1 here of Acts, all that he was writing, all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up. He says in the gospel, this is just the beginning. I'm just scratching the surface here. But the book of Acts is the continuation of the works by and through the Holy Spirit. And it continues even today. We're going to see when we finally get to the end, when we get to the very end of the book of Acts, it's kind of left on a cliffhanger because the story continues. It continues even today and will continue until Jesus comes back because it's the Holy Spirit moving through people and the gospel going forward. So Luke is our author, and the reason he's writing is that basically there's more to cover. I only wrote the beginning. I only wrote some of the stuff. There's a whole lot more you need to know, Theophilus. And the break, the split, the thing that, that separates volume one from volume two is the ascension. The ascension is the moment. It is huge and important. It is a huge, important moment in history and our lives, and we don't talk about it a whole ton, um, but we will cover it some this morning. And so he says uh, in verse 2, this is the, the first introduction into really who is the main focus of this book, the Holy Spirit. He says, until the day when Jesus was taken up after he had been given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. This is the first introduction of the main focus, the Holy Spirit. Right off the bat, Luke is giving us, this is the bridge between Jesus' ministry and the future ministry of the apostles, all of which has been done by and through the Holy Spirit. He is the bridge that connects the two and connects us to the apostles as well. Jesus wasn't going to leave completely until he had a final chance to offer his followers direction and equipping that comes with it. 
And so this interaction commands, this interaction of commands through the Holy Spirit are given to a very specific group of people. He gives it to the apostles. Luke uses this term in his gospel more times than any, any of the other gospels. Apostle means one who is sent. And it's fitting to use this word here for the 11, minus Judas, because, you know, that didn't end real well. That'll get taken care of later. Because these 11 are being sent by Jesus to continue his work and ministry by and through the Holy Spirit, leading and guiding them. They are the sent ones. We talked about this a bit when we studied the book of Galatians, that there's a difference between the 11 being sent out and being apostles, but we too also are being sent out, right? The Great Commission, we'll talk about in a little bit. We are being sent out as Christians, so we also are sent out apostles with a small a versus apostles with a capital A, right? These 11 knew Jesus. They were sent directly by him, and then you can include Paul in that list when we meet him later on. They were sent directly face-to-face by Jesus. We are sent out by and through the Holy Spirit. It's a little different, but we are all sent out as well to continue the furthering of the gospel. In the same way, we are still sent with a message to proclaim Christ, who he is, and how his life, death, burial, and resurrection paid for our sins. And so we'll see this continuation play out in the text. And so Jesus, Luke starts talking about these 40 days that Jesus spent with them after the resurrection. He says in verse 3, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So to go along with your homework of reading chapter 1, you can look at 1 Corinthians 15. Paul gives uh, kind of a very brief list of the different ways Jesus appeared during those 40 days. He would show up for a while, talk with people. He showed up to hundreds of people at a time, and then he would disappear again. And then he'd show up for the disciples, and he'd show up, had some one-on-one interactions. Over and over again, Jesus is showing up and then leaving. And every time he left, I think there was this probably a little bit of uncertainty with the disciples, right? Like, he would show up, and he's the the glorified, resurrected Jesus. It's awesome. They spend time together, and then he disappeared. And they got to be like, well, is that it? Are Are we done? Is he gone? Is he gone for good? And then this, again, like you'd show up again, oh, he's back. Oh, but now he's gone again. And over again, over and again, over these 40 days, this happens. But the whole time, he's doing this for a purpose. He's doing this to teach them. He showed them for a purpose to speak about the kingdom of God. He's still teaching. He's still preaching of that day when all things would be made new. All things are redeemed and renewed. When all things are made right, when Jesus is our reigning and ruling king over all things, it is this message of something better is coming. Jesus was still preaching that, still giving them and letting them see, look, after everything that's happened, after the the crucifixion, the resurrection, the fact that I'm here still, after all of that, even still, it's going to get better. Even though you see me alive, even though I'm physically with you, it's going to get better. It's a message of hope. There is life to be had, and he gives them these these small doses. And still today, we get these small doses, these small glimpse of what the kingdom of God can look like, what it looks like when the kingdom breaks in on earth, and what it will look like, what it will be like when we get to be with him for eternity. It's the message that we get to continue to proclaim until Christ's return. And so he would show up in many forms, proving over and over again, he really did rise from the dead. He really did die, and he really did rise. And then we see in verse 4, while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, 
John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Before he sends the disciples out to go, he tells them, wait. Don't leave. Wait. Wait on the promise. Wait for what I have for you. Now, couldn't the promise come wherever they were? Right? Jesus is not bound by physical presence. So why did they need to stay in Jerusalem? Why did they need to stay there? Well, why were they in Jerusalem for the first place? They had gone to celebrate the Passover. And they stayed along with everyone else. You would stay. You would come for Passover and stay for weeks at a time. There were thousands of people in the city. And what is about to come is going to have a great effect on many people. It is the beginning of something new. And this is a great launching point. It also has to do with the normal game plan of what we see play out throughout the book of Acts is that Jerusalem is going to start. The, the Jewish people is, are the first ones to hear this gospel message and it will filter out from them. And so they are full of excitement. And the Holy Spirit, and probably they were, the, the disciples are itching to go out and do some work. Right? It would be really hard after going through everything they had gone through and seeing Jesus, having these interactions, to not say, okay, can we go tell some people? Can we go do some stuff? Because I don't want to just keep sitting here in Jerusalem. Jesus, people got to know. Especially in Jerusalem, there's this buzz about what's been happening. He's showing up to hundreds of people at a time. There's this rumor. There are these excitement going on, and the disciples got to be saying, okay, can we go? Can we go? Jesus says, wait. Just slow down. Because of our culture, our culture gets so focused on achievement, achievement and drive. And so we tend to look at seasons of our own lives that don't have immediate results or impact, and we think about them as wasted or unnecessary. See, sometimes the most spiritually mature thing you can do is just wait. Because waiting takes trust. Waiting takes Patience. It takes humility. Now, we're not talking about avoiding. We're not talking about ignoring or hiding. We're talking about waiting. There's a difference between them. There's a difference when Jesus says, wait, because I'm going to do something. And somebody like Jonah in the Old Testament who just ignores and runs and hides. The disciples are told, wait for the promise. It's not, you're not waiting forever, but just wait for now. Wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit. Jesus takes them back to the early days, even before Jesus' ministry began, way back to John the Baptist. John himself said of those days, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. There was a promise of the Holy Spirit to come. And Jesus, here now, post-crucifixion, post-resurrection, that day of the baptism is at hand, he says. See, the disciples could have gone out proclaiming and praying and doing things in the name of Jesus and probably would have found success because they had in the past. You see it in the Gospels. Jesus sends them out multiple times to do ministry, and they have success. But Jesus had something bigger waiting for them. He has something grander on the horizon. Sometimes we want to rush into whatever it is, what we can do, we want to rush into it because we know we can do it, because we have the gifts, talents, abilities within ourselves that we can actually just get it done ourselves, and it might not be as good, but we can get it done. 
and good is good enough sometimes. God says, no, just wait, because I'm preparing you not just for good, but for great. What Jesus has in mind for the disciples was, as usual, much more than that they could possibly consider. And we see this conversation in verse 6. They had come together and they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? The disciples ask about restoring the kingdom. Even after everything that had transpired, the fact that Jesus is risen from the dead, amen and amen, it is life-changing. But Rome is still in charge. On a day-to-day basis, nothing's changed for the, for the Israelites. They're still subject to foreign leaders. They were a people, yes, but they weren't their own people. They were ruled and governed by outsiders. And it was widely believed that the Messiah would come to free God's people, to reestablish them as a nation. You know, we often, when you read the Gospels, we talk about how the disciples just didn't get it. How, how many times uh, Jesus is teaching or Jesus does a miracle and it just goes right over the disciples' heads. They didn't quite understand. They keep missing the point of what Jesus was doing. I don't think that's what's happening here. I mean, after everything that has happened, right, they're sleeping in a garden. And they wake up and they're soldiers with clubs and torches. They see Jesus beaten to a pulp. He is strung up on a cross like a common criminal. They watch him suffer and suffocate on that cross And just to make sure he's really, really dead, a soldier runs him through with a spear. They have to process all of that. The weeping and the grieving and the complete confusion over what was happening. The darkness and and quietness of Saturday. And then Sunday comes. And for Mary and the other women, they come running in. The disciples don't know what's going on. The, The women come running in. They're out of breath. And they say, he's not there. He's alive. He's alive. He's in Galilee. We got to go. He appears to them in a locked room, and Thomas gets to do the touching the scars thing. After all of that, I don't think it's out of the question for them to say, hey, Jesus, is, it, is this it? Are we, we going to wrap this up now? Is it time? Is it finally time for things to get straightened out for your people? The Israelites have been beaten and oppressed for how many hundreds and thousands of years, Jesus? Is it finally time for you to make us whole again? You've clearly got the power. I don't think they were out of line with this question, but they were as they had always been, thinking too small, too local, and too finite. Because after all, I mean, they had seen all of those things happen over that weekend. And if you run the tape back, they saw a whole lot more, right? Because of Jesus, the blind could see, the lame could walk, the hungry were fed, storms were calmed, even the dead came back to life. They knew Jesus' power. They knew when, they knew even just the, the glimpses of his power, when he was keeping himself restrained as a fully God, fully human, and how amazing it was. But now he's resurrected Jesus. That's a whole other level of power. So why are they thinking so small, so simple about what he was going to do, so temporal? And that's basically what Jesus responds to them. He says, look, don't worry about times and seasons that the Father knows and has set up. That stuff is fixed and set already. It's going to happen. Don't worry about it. When it's meant to occur, it's going to occur. That's not for you to be concerned with, guys. Instead, you have a bigger purpose than just Israel in this moment. 
They were concerned and focused on the immediate, on the right now, on the right in front of them. Jesus, are you going to fix this problem staring at us in the face? It reminds me of the account in Mark 2. Jesus is healing people. He's teaching, and the crowd has swarmed this house. There, there are many people deep in the doorway. You couldn't even get in. And a few guys take their crippled friend, and they go up onto the roof, and they, they cut a hole through the roof, and they lower him down to Jesus. The man gets lowered to Jesus, and what does Jesus do? What does he first say to him? In, in Mark 2, in verse 5, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. The guy's up on the roof, and everybody in front of him has got to be saying, Jesus, can't you see what's right in front of you? Can't you see what he actually needs? Great, you forgave some sins. We don't even know if you could, I don't think you can even do that. This guy can't walk, Jesus, and we know you can heal people. He needs physical healing. He needs something completely different than what you're offering, Jesus. The sin thing, that can get taken care of later. Right now, this guy needs to walk. But God is always concerned with the bigger picture. Because that man does walk out of the house. But Jesus wanted to handle what was most important for that man first before he healed him and let him walk off. Because what good are working legs if you just use them to walk straight to hell? The apostles want the immediate, seemingly obvious issue handled. The oppression by the Israelites through by the Romans. Jesus tells them, you're going to be used by God. You are going to be the catalyst to see the oppression of people that are under sin freed. The angel declared it when Jesus was born. The gospel is good news of great joy that will be for all people. This was always the plan for God to, yes, have this chosen relationship with the Israelites, that they are God's chosen people. But the family of God is full of anyone and everyone who would put their faith in the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins. And it is because of what Jesus says in verse 8 that this is possible. He says in verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. <clears throat> he gives them the what and the how, the plan and the way for that plan to be accomplished. The plan was to be accomplished, would be accomplished by the power of the Holy Spirit. They will be able to go and live up to what God is calling them to do, not because of who they are, because at the end of the day, it's a bunch of fishermen, some tax collectors, a bunch of nobody, blue-collar guys. It wasn't because of them and their impressiveness, but because of who God is, because of what God was equipping them to do. The Holy Spirit will empower, will lead, will guide, will challenge, will equip, will comfort. And because he is with you, you can go and accomplish what I'm sending you out to do. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. It's very similar language to the Great Commission. You will testify of me. You will tell people who I am, of what I did, of what I am offering in the grace of new life. They are the eyewitnesses. They themselves are the evidence of change. The change in their lives, the change we will see in their actions and character comes pretty quickly. We saw at the end of the Gospels, Everything goes down with Jesus, and all the disciples, they go heading for the hills. They're hiding out for a couple, they're hiding out for a couple hours. They're afraid. 
And in just a couple of chapters, in just a few weeks, they're standing before Roman officials under the threat of death, and they say, we're going to keep preaching Jesus. You can kill us if you want. That's the power of the Holy Spirit in them. They're clearly changed men because of the resurrection. The geographical points that that Jesus brings up here are really a rough, brief outline of the book of Acts. Things stay pretty local for a while, and then because of outside forces, we see the gospel begin to spread beyond Jerusalem to further out areas into Judea, and then into Samaria, into Gentile areas. People that normally would be enemies would be totally against what the Jewish people would think of now are being considered brothers and sisters. All the way to the ends of the earth. For them, that's Rome. And it's going to go beyond them in space and time. And ultimately, what he says is the waiting is about to be over. Now, it's time to go. That's what he says in in the end of our passage here, 9, 10, 11. When he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. He's lifted up and a cloud took them out of their sight. You would think, considering the magnitude of the situation here, you'd think we'd get a few more descriptors of what just happened. Right? I mean, it's kind of like he breathed his last in Mark's gospel, right? The sins of all mankind are being punished and we get he breathed his last. Now here, Jesus ascends into the heavens. He will not return until he does so to fully bring in the kingdom of God. It is really the end of an era and the beginning of a new one. And all we get is he's up in the air and a cloud hits him and now he's gone. This is a big deal and it affects, it affects and changes everything, even for us today. Russell Moore says that the ascension means that you are connected always to God. Our exile from God, our exile that started with the fiery sword out of Eden is over. We are connected to Jesus by faith as a head is with a body. Our head then is seated now at the right hand of God, always in God's presence and always in communion with him. Jesus ascends and he moves from the visible and the physical to the invisible world. He is not taking a break or pressing pause on things. He is moving things along, intimately connected to everything happening in our world. Which means even on the dark days, on the hardest, most confusing days and seasons of our lives, the children of God are not subject to the whims and the forces of evil. Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, moving things along until that day when he can return. And gone will be the meek and mild son of the nobody from the middle of nowhere. He will return as the reigning and ruling king of kings and lord of lords. For something so amazing as the ascension to heaven, we get just a few words about this important event, but I think that's intentional because Luke is very, very particular with his word choice. The focus has shifted. Not that Jesus is no longer the focus, he's always the focus, but for these men, for the followers of Jesus, their relationship with him and with each other is different now. Their relationship with the Holy Spirit is different now. And so we see in verse 10, while they're caught, while they, while he's being caught, while he's being caught up, they're looking up and two men in white robes, we're going to assume angels, help to focus the apostles on what this new season is going to be about. And they say to him and them in verse 11, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? Hey guys, what are you doing? He's gone. The time 
is gone. He's gone for good, and you'll know when he comes back because he's going to come back the same way he left. So why are you staring at the sky? I mean, don't you have work to do? Don't you have somewhere to be? Like Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth? The time for waiting is just about over, fellas. See, this is why we need to grow in our understanding and listening to the Holy Spirit. Because at first, the message was, wait. But now the message is, it's time to go. Discernment and wisdom and knowledge, these things we gain by being in his word, but also listening and following the Holy Spirit's leading in our lives. It won't always be as obvious as they had it here, right? The disciples have Jesus literally saying to them face to face, wait. And now they have two angels literally saying to them, stop waiting. We usually aren't that lucky. When it's time to wait, we need to wait and be thankful for the time because it's not a waste. God doesn't waste time, his or yours. And when it's time to move, then move and be thankful for the time and the equipping of the Holy Spirit. This call, this time to move, this go call can be overwhelming when we are relying on us when we believe that we have to save people, when we believe that we represent all of Christianity on our own, when we decide, I won't say anything to anyone, that way I can't screw anything up. We get so focused on us, on here, on now. We get so focused on us here and church life, and we forget that the Great Commission continues for us today. This call that the disciples had to go to the ends of the earth, we have today to go. We get so caught up in being engaged and connected and serving and attending and doing church life that we forget that the Great Commission is about going beyond the church. This is about strengthening. This is about building and encouraging so that we can go and be the lights of the world God has made us to be. So we can shine the light of the gospel with our words and actions. It's so easy to get caught up in what's going to happen, what may happen, that we ignore what is happening right in front of us. We forget to live our lives. We get so concerned with filling ourselves with knowledge. i got to learn more before I can really talk about Jesus. i got to be a better Christian. i got to be more disciplined. i got to actually read on a consistent basis before I can talk to people about this. i got to have more followers. i got to study more time before I can truly go and have an impact. The disciples were not perfect. They won't do things perfectly, but they were willing to take a step and trust God's lead. There have been times in my own life, times in my own time as pastor here, where I've waited way, way longer than I should. Times where I made excuses, where I said, well, we gotta, we're, Roscoe Village is all about family, so we've got to really make sure our kids' ministry is really set and really, really on point before we can really be in the community and connect with people. No, that was just me wanting to avoid maybe getting rejected. We make excuses all the time when we know the call is go. We make up reasons why we need to stay, keep waiting. We got to wait for normal to come back. We got to wait for my own maturity. We got to wait for some stability in my life. Wait for money to be okay. Wait for my health. Wait for this relationship. Wait for this degree. Once I get things set, once things are okay, then I'll go be a Christian to other people. If you tarry till you're better, will never come at all. Why are you staring at the clouds when he's called us to go? You, as you are, 
are full of the power of the Holy Spirit, Christian. You have been called into community and you are called to be a witness for him. Jesus is exactly where he's supposed to be, alive and seated at the right hand of the Father on his throne, still taking care of us. He is exactly where he is supposed to be doing what he is supposed to be doing. And he has put you exactly where you are supposed to be, doing exactly what you are supposed to be doing, to be a light, to be his witness. He has done that so you can be his witness, so that he's equipped you, he's called you, he's got a plan for you. The only way to live into it is to actually live and it's time to start going because christ has called us and equipped us and is with us now and when we get to the ends of the earth let's pray god it is at times overwhelming to think that you would invite us to be part of what you are doing in this world to redeem and renew and restore all things. We can come up with a bunch of distractions and excuses as to why we don't have to go, why it's not the right time, why we're not ready. wouldn't call us to do something if you didn't also equip us and make us ready. You wouldn't call us into something if you weren't going to be with us. You don't leave us to our own devices. You don't leave us on our own. So God, we ask that you would remind us of that reality. That you would encourage us and challenge us. That you would help us to have fresh eyes as we go through the world, as we go to work and we go to school and we engage with our friends and neighbors and co-workers and strangers, that you would give us eyes to see them as you see them, that you would give us those opportunities. You have opportunities set already before us. Give us eyes to see those opportunities. Give us the hands and feet to step into them. God, we thank you for sending your Holy Spirit to us to equip us, to challenge us, help us, God, in a world that is so noisy and so busy. Help us to hear from the Holy Spirit and to respond. We can't do this on our own. We can't do anything without you. You've told us that time and time again. Help us to not try and put the Holy Spirit into a box, but rather to engage with him, to let him lead us as we live our lives. You have a purpose. You have a plan for us. We ask that you would help us to step into that purpose and plan. We thank you and praise you. Amen.